Screw it, screw it. We're just going to talk about comics. Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. I'm your host, Kevin Hines, alongside... Will Hines. That's right. The, the other, other host. The other host. Yeah. Uh, we are brothers, and we are comedians who work and perform at the UCB theaters in New York and Los Angeles. And we are also huge comic book fans. And this is a podcast where we talk about old runs of comics that meant a lot to us. And this is our second season, and we're covering the Jack Kirby... Stan Lee, Fantastic Four run. Right, which is, it's insane that we're doing this. Yeah, it's 102 issues plus some annuals. It's a lot of comics. Um, it is some of the most important comics ever, and we are the least trained people to talk about that topic. <laughs> Not the least. <laughs> I can find people less trained. Sure, sure. People have never read the comics yeah. because we're better than those people, and maybe just those people. If you ask the current like cast of The Bachelorette, for a challenge to talk about Jack Kirby's comics, they would be less qualified. I bet one of them would be more qualified. <laughs> It'd be funny if they all were just weirdly on top of it. They're like, Jack Kirby? Well, sure, you got to go back to his uh, work at DC Comics before that. And then somebody around, what ink are we talking? Chick Stone? Uh, Joe Sinnott? Like, everyone gets, like, really deep immediately. Yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, but we, we do love these comics. We love the Fantastic Four comics. They're crazy and loopy and and often brilliant. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's what we're talking about this season. Yeah. We're talking about our, we're doing our third, we're starting our third batch of issues. We're doing these in huge batches instead of issue by issue. And we got up to issue 24 in our most recent episode. Mm -hmm. And uh, now we're going to be continuing from there from 20, issue 25 to 34, which is nine issues plus an annual or maybe 10 issues plus an annual. I'm bad at math. 10 or uh, 9 to 11 issues There's is what no we're way about to, know, to cover. There's no way to know, but somewhere in I'm there. I'm not going to count them. No. And uh, uh, these issues, I think, personally, I kind of set these arbitrary arcs up for what which, what which we would cover. And I feel like uh, these are the issues where it starts getting less silly. I mean, it's still weird and strange and funny, but less like... Dumb, silly. Yeah, things are starting to take shape for what will be its epic run in the middle of, of yeah. We're building, we're building up to some of the best superhero comics ever, and things are starting to be a little less insane. Yeah. Um, so uh, I guess before we get started, uh, we, we last episode, I guess we did a mailbag. Yes. And just to remind you, if you want to write us emails, you can at screwitspidey at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at screwitcomics. So I don't know. I get that up at the top. Let's get some emails coming in. We just read through a bunch of them. So now we need uh, you guys to recharge our email banks. Yes. So send us something. It's Screw It Spidey because this podcast used to be called Screw It. We're just going to talk about Spider-Man and we didn't want to change our email. That's even, right. Even though we did change the name of the podcast. That's right. And um, uh, changing emails is a pain. No one should ever do it. I have too many email addresses as is, uh, but we did change our, we created a new Instagram account and changed our Twitter account. So I don't know. Who knows? Maybe I made mistakes throughout all of that. Maybe everything should have changed or nothing should have changed, but too bad. Uh, but let's get started. Well, we have a lot to cover. Yeah, let's get going. So, you know, we like segments on this podcast, but. The, the because we have so many issues to cover the way we're it's actually we're doing two episodes for every chunk of books right and the first instead of, the, of doing smaller chunks uh and doing you know one chunk per episode 
We're doing big chunks and we're doing two episodes <laughs> for each one. It's, it's confusing, we had, right? We don't know if it's the right way. We, we're not sure what we're doing, but this is, this is how we've settled on it. So this whole episode we're about to do is one segment called The Watcher Watches, where we just recap the stories. And the next episode will be all these other segments where we analyze the stories, right? That's right. Um, okay. So, so there'll be some uh, of our opinion coming through. We can't help that. But this is more just us describing what happens and our sort of initial reactions to it. Not like a deep – we're not really thinking too much about what we're saying here. Yep. Um, though I do want to say like I look at these next two issues as like the start of the real FF. Yeah. Up until now it's sort of been – like protoplasm in the universe coagulating clouds of gas and going forward, it's going to solidify into a planet. I also say most of this arc is inked by a guy named Chick Stone, who is okay as an inker for Kirby. Yeah. yeah. But he's following this guy, George Bell, who I think is also George Rusas, who I think was terrible. Yeah, I kind of agree. I didn't like George's style. It was it really changed the style of Jack Kirby's art. And, Ch- and Chick Stone is better, although the best inker is yet to come. Yeah, the best inker is much later on. It's uh, a Joe Sinnott. Um, there's also going to be uh, Vince Coletta is going to ink for a little bit between there, uh, between Chick Stone and Joe Sinnott. And the first inker, I don't know in the first eight issues, it's uncredited. It might just be Kirby himself. Yeah. Uh, but then Dick Ayers takes over, and I thought he was pretty good. Yeah. I mean, there was one, there was one Ditko issue, the um, Red Ghost and the Super Apes was inked by Steve Ditko. Yeah, so cool. Uh, but otherwise, uh, I think it was Steve Dick did go Ayers. ink your pencils. It's like having Martin Scorsese be your DP on a film or something. It's like you have another great penciler doing your inks. I mean, that issue is beautiful. Um, you know, people like to make, I feel like inkers is something that people like to make jokes about for a long time. It's like a go to thing to make fun of in comics. Like, sure, yeah. Uh, you know, I feel like, oh, you're, you know, like, isn't in like in Mall Rats, the Kevin Smith movie, isn't somebody just an inker? I think Chasing Amy. Okay, yeah. Uh, they refer to him as a tracer. Yeah, they make a lot of jokes about it being. And there, there was like a long fad of like making fun of the role of the inker. And you know what? I get it because it sounds dumb. It is a dumb title. However, um, you know, in this like grind him out assembly line monthly comic book thing, the inker is huge, and the inker enables Jack Kirby to tell more stories. And so you want a good one. Um, when I, when I, when I was younger, I didn't quite get what inkers were doing, but like. You definitely would see certain pencilers always use the same inkers. And I think they just realize like this guy brings out the best in my work or, or he, you know, I can, I know which parts I need to put details into and which parts I don't need to. Cause I know how this inker works. And, and like, like Alan Davis always, almost always works with Mark Farmer is one that I always noticed right away. Yeah. Uh, and some people ink themselves, but yeah, definitely back in this day, I think Kirby was doing like 45 books a month, at least 45. And if he didn't have a good inker, It'd be, I mean, Ditko inked his own stuff, and I think that's But it limited uh, his productivity. But yeah, he only did two books a month. Yeah. It, uh, uh, and only. I don't know how much detail Kirby put into these books. And also Kirby's style is probably also evolving. But definitely uh, 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 George Bell, who does these first few issues, and Chick Stone, to a lesser extent, don't bring out the power of the characters as much. As Joe Sinnott does. Yeah, the, these guys kind of soften Jack Kirby, right? They don't, like, make it more heroic. They make it less. Yeah, I mean, Thing almost looks like a, a sidekick, like a, a like snarf from the Thundercats more than, <laughs> like, the brute member of the team. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's interesting to, to, as you as you 
become an older comic fan, you notice those changes. I, I remember as a kid, like taking note of, I remember Terry Austin was a guy in the eighties. who seemed to ink everything at Marvel comics. Um, I just remember noting that name and I, and when I started doing improv, I would use the name Terry Austin whenever I had to be a comic book person. I'd be like me, Terry Austin, Marvel Comics Inker, a reference that was honestly recognized by nobody. Kevin, have you ever heard of Terry <laughs> yeah, Austin? Yeah, I don't think I've even... Yeah, if you, I've heard if you don't know it, then I, I had no I've chance. I've noticed you say it, so yeah. Yeah, so um, I think Inkers are hugely important. If you're reading al- along with these comics, too, and a few people have been emailing us that are reading it for the first time and are talking about how weird these issues are, I mean, I hope they keep reading because they've read through the worst of it, yeah, I bad. think. It, it goes up from here. Yeah. And even the bad stuff is fun, as we've said, but it goes up. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, we, I love the Red Ghost issue. So and I we put that in with the bad stuff. But uh, I don't know. I think this this story is pretty good. And this is just the first. Pr- this is pretty good compared to what co- what's to come. Yeah. So, so let's get let's into it. Talk about it. Yeah. This is issue 25. We're going to talk about first and really 25 and 26 are sort of a two parter. Yeah. And this is a famous two parter. This is the Hulk versus the thing. Uh, you know, who's stronger? The two big Marvel comic strongmen of the early 60s face off. It's like a classic fan service. Yeah, and they met in issue 12, but it was more of the FF did a lot of the fighting. Like, the Thing and the Hulk maybe trade a few blows, but not really that much. It's actually surprising they didn't fight each other more since they're such similar strongmen. Um, I just I like when Marvel Comics would do something like this. Like, they sort of, like, anticipate what the fans want to see. Yeah, um, and this is a good first idea for a, a two-parter, um, and it gets into it pretty quick. Like, I mean, uh, within like three or four pages, the Hulk has shown up, um, threatening people. You know, he's uh, uh, being chased, I think, by the Avengers. Uh, that's right. There, because he used to be part of the Avengers, or what's happening? Yeah, he helped found the Avengers, and for some reason, they sort of and the first early like three or four issues of the Avengers often revolved around the Hulk, at least indirectly. And then they sort of dropped that. But I, th- I, th- I think that just sort of carries over. It's like, it feels like the Hulk is the Avengers problem. Yeah. But uh, the Hulk goes to New York City. That's right. Um, uh, Bruce Banner is called Bob Banner in this issue. Does that happen a lot, Kevin, in these, in these early times? Yeah, I don't know. I, I know it definitely happens. And I don't know why that change happened. Because now in comics, they've sort of ret retroactively made his name Robert Bruce Banner <laughs> and he just goes by his middle name most of the time. Yeah. But his full name is Robert Bruce Banner. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I bet you they just messed up for a while. All right. So we're good. We're uh, the Hulk. I think in- this is, this might also be in the era where there's no Hulk solo comic. Um, the tales to astonish has not started yet. And so the Hulk is sort of just roaming from comic to comic, just sort of staying in the Marvel universe until he gets his own book. Um, yeah, the Hulk always popular, even though he weirdly didn't always have his own book. All right, so yeah. the, Hulk, the Hulk goes to New York. The Hulk goes to groovy New York City. He's going to get That's cosmopolitan. Right. He's getting some Broadway tickets. He's, He's going to have a makeover where he tries on a bunch of clothes. You know, walks down uh, Fifth Avenue, goes shopping, uh, meets a tap dance. He gets into a tap dancing school. Yeah, all that sort of happens in between panels. Uh, in the main panels that we see, uh, the torch is the first one to spot him and attack him. Yeah, and the Hulk makes quick work of the torch. Sue, yeah, has, the to, torch Sue is, has to save the torch. The torch is knocked down real fast. And at this point, Sue has her force fields. Yes, yeah, so right? she protects Johnny from the Hulk. But then the Hulk 
yanks Johnny encased in a force field above Manhattan, which exhausts Sue's powers and she passes out. So she had like three panels of being a major player, which is more than she's had in many issues. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, she passes out basically. And then, so the thing quickly takes center stage and he's like, all right, let's, let's have at it. And they start fighting and it's pretty fun. Yeah. And it, it's interesting. It makes it pretty clear that the Hulk is significantly stronger than the thing. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is basically just, he doesn't quit. He keeps at it. Uh, and he uh, maybe just has more gumption than the Hulk. That's all he's really got going for him. Uh, he's also more inventive, right? The Hulk is like this rage machine and the thing is a more of thinking creature. Yeah. And this is, I mean, this issue is following infant terrible. The issue where like there's an alien being who is bribed with candy to work for the mob. This is a stark <laughs> difference <laughs> in stories. I think this is a for real battle something kirby's really good at is and he and he'll do it a lot where he'll just set up a fight and then he just tries to come up with uh jack kirby the artist yeah he tries to come up with a lot of like just visual things the characters can do to each other like i feel like he he's really diligent about trying to think of new things to draw it's like spider-man comics the villain grabs a bag of money spider-man punches him like there wasn't a ton of inventiveness all the inventiveness was about the emotional stakes which was great. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes it'd be in cool backgrounds, like s- statue factories or yeah, whatever. Yeah, they'd be in a great setting them. or something, but it's still just Spidey punching a guy in a mask holding a bag of money. Yeah. And, um, you know, Kirby, Kirby maybe doesn't worry about the setting so much. Also, maybe doesn't always worry about the emotional stakes. But he does worry about, oh, the thing's just going to – is going to grab a, a fistful of electrical wires from underneath the road. Um, oh, he's yeah. going to grab a – Hulk's going to throw a bunch of tires at the thing and the thing's going to grab one and punch through the center of the tire. Yeah. There's also a sequence where the thing is on top of a building and the Hulk is just shaking the whole building. Yeah. Like a tree. Yeah. And I that's, think, I mean, that shouldn't work. That building should that, crumble, but that should not it work. looks great. It looks great. So like Kirby is kind of like, he's really into trying to come up with stuff like that. Um, they, they go into the water at one point, a uh, thing in the Hulk. Yeah. Uh, they go into the water. Uh, they throw buses at each other. <laughs> um, and all the while, I think Reed is sick, right? Uh, yes. Uh, Reed, Reed is out of the game. He, we can't use Reed's brain because he's got some strange virus that's taking him down. So that's why it's really at this point, oh, and it's Sue because, is passed it's, out from saving Johnny. Johnny's been just punched by the Hulk. And so he's out. And it's just a thing at this point. And there's no backup coming. The Avengers are out of town looking for the Hulk, ironically <laughs> enough. Right, right. So a Reed passed out because he was working so hard on trying to cure the thing. Oh, that's right. Yes. And uh, the, and Ben refused the cure because he thinks that his girlfriend, Alicia, likes him better as the thing. Yeah, and that's sort of an arbitrary thing. Like some issues he seems really intent on being cured and other issues he doesn't want to be for Alicia. Like in a few issues later on, he talks about how Reed hasn't cured him again. It sort of just whatever serves the story. Um, the end of this battle, uh, the thing wraps the Hulk up with cables from a suspension bridge, which I think would make the bridge fall, but it doesn't. Um, and then, um, the, that temporarily binds the Hulk, but then the Hulk is able to break through that, which is seen as like, uh, oh, that was, that was the thing's sort of last ploy. Now the thing, the Hulk is broken free. The army is surrounding and the Avengers do show up, right? No, they don't. Not yet. Um, Next issue. Next uh, issue. Everyone's hoping the Avengers will come and save the day, but the Avengers are not here, Sue proclaims staring at the TV. But the Hulk does knock down the thing. The thing is out. 
Yeah, and so the this issue ends on a cliffhanger where the Hulk is dominant, but the thing is at the very end of the issue crawls to his feet and says, "You're going to have to kill me. I won't give up." And yep, starts heading into the battle again. Just starts looking for him. That's how the issue ends. It, there's no conclusion to this story. Yeah, it's pretty fun though. I love this issue. It's really fun. I mean, it's I mean, famous. Yeah, it's just I, a hu- huge I, difference from the preceding handful of issues. It's so much less stupid. Um, uh, it's. I feel like Hulk first thing is a is like was like a trope. Like that's like you would compare other battles. You'd say like, oh, this this issue is like a Hulk first thing, but it wouldn't, you know, I mean, if it was a two two Marvel characters facing off, you'd call it a Hulk first thing type of issue. And also for sure, anytime one of those characters, Hulk or thing has like a status quo change, it always became a thing of like, well, now they got to fight each other again to see how they stack up. Like if something changed like I remember their powers or whatever. Reading the, yeah, I remember reading the Hulk during the gray Hulk era when he turned into the Hulk at night and he was smarter, but not as strong. And at that time, the thing happened to be going through a phase where he was much stronger. Oh, yeah, that's uh, right. And they had to. He was and like they, rockier. And they, and they, yeah. And they had to fight each other. And the thing was excited. He was like, I'm finally going to win. <laughs> I, it, and he didn't. He lost. <laughs> <laughs> I like that the Hulk is some sort of maximum that he's always, you yeah. know, he's always going to be able to beat on just pure brute strength. Feels right. Yeah. And Dan Slott, the current writer of Fantastic Four has recently tweeted about how he just wrote his thing versus Hulk fight and he's very excited about it. Yeah, it's like a thing that you do. Like and and so this is the first one of those. Yeah, you write the Fantastic Four, you gotta bring Doctor Doom in. Yeah, and you gotta, you gotta have a Hulk uh, versus thing. Yeah, you gotta have a Hulk versus thing. Those are a couple of the things you just need to have. And you gotta have you do the Avengers, you gotta do like a lineup change. Mm-hmm. And you Those gotta have certain things. Show what the FF is doing to fight the communist menace. <laughs> That's always important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the second half of this uh uh, the Hulk first thing, keep battling. The army is like standing around and they don't know what to do because it's like, well, we have two supernatural entities that we are not equipped to do anything with. Yeah. Johnny tries to get involved again. He's like bandaged up in his <laughs> asbestos bandages and like leaps into the battle again for a little bit. But he's taken out again pretty quick. He's taken out pretty quick. Reed is still too sick to join. So it's like it's it's all up to Ben here. And at a certain point, uh, uh, yeah, the, the fight is not going great. The, the thing is just getting knocked around and then just keeps coming back into it. The Hulk steals a subway car at one Which point. Which is hilarious. Issue. He's driving a subway car down. The, the Hulk occasionally is just arbitrarily like <laughs> really smart sometimes. And it seems strange to me. Yeah, this is for sure before um, he got to the Hulk smash era because he talks in full sentences. Um, so, you know, like he's like, leave the train, take all the passengers with you while you still can, says the Hulk. So it's not like. Hulk say run or something. So the Hulk is, I mean, the thing is giving Hulk a lot of trouble and maybe slowing him down, but the Hulk is winning. And then the Avengers do show up. Yeah. They, he finally reaches the Avengers. And there's also Rick Jones, who is the Hulk sort of sidekick who knows that Hulk is Bruce Banner and helps the Hulk. Yeah. And Rick Jones has sort of become a Avengers sidekick too. He works with Captain America. And I think that is part of this is that Rick Jones sort of left the Hulk because his comic got canceled and Rick Jones like, I'm not staying in a canceled comic. I'm going to work with Captain America. He's a star. And so that sort of hurts the Hulk's feelings, I think, a little bit. Um, <clears throat> so now the Avengers, they have a little tussle with the Hulk, but they kind of fail. And then the Hulk kind of gets away and the FF and the Avengers sort of like powwow. But what are we going to do? Right. Yeah. There's a sequence where I think the Avengers show up. And they're like, there's an argument over who gets to fight the Hulk. (laughs) 
you know, Thor's like, I'm going to do it. Uh, or no, like they have a Captain America and Iron Man are like, we should do it. And Reed's like, no, we should do it. We started this fight. We'd like to finish it. Yeah. Um, And I think Thor is the one who talks reason into it. He's basically like, let's just find him and then we can all work together. Um, Yeah, it's, like, so it's, it's so weird. They're going to team up, which is makes complete sense. You would team up. Yeah. You wouldn't sideline the Thor when you fight the Hulk. Yeah, let's only have one of us go. That's like a martial arts movie mistake where you send in one person at a time to beat the the strong man. Yeah. And again, this art isn't great. I mean, this is still George Bell inking it. And there's sequences that are like are cool ideas, but just don't quite have the impact I would want to. I'm looking at a panel on page 19 where the Hulk and the thing are both punching a girder. And it's a <laughs> yeah. really cool idea, but it doesn't look that great. It almost looks like a coloring book page. I think this guy's style, it reminds, it looks like, it looks like, it looks like he'd just be good at something else. Like some kind of, I think he'd be good at like a 60s trippy R. Crumb kind of like journey into psychedelic Lower East Side. Like everything's kind of fluid and weird. It almost looks like Mike Allred art sometimes a little bit. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. And Chickstone even goes, I think, a little bit more of that. Uh, they both kind of do that. They like, they put more time in drawing Sue, I think, than some of the monsters. <laughs> They, yeah, Sue looks really pretty and glamorous. Um, yeah, but they're Kirby is a, a mythic heroic dude. Like it's got to be. It's Game of yeah. Thrones battle time. It's not soap opera time. So I mean, to some extent, Marvel wasn't expecting to be this big a hit, and I think they were just getting the anchors they could get. And these guys were working on westerns and romance books, and not necessarily superhero books. Yeah. Anyway, the fight continues. Yes. Uh, Giant Man and the Wasp are involved. Captain America is involved. And then uh, it's funny to see the old Avengers. You know, now that the Avengers have become this, I always thought of the. I, I was never that big of an Avengers guy. Like growing up, like I liked them okay, but like I was never excited about Avengers stories. And now in the MCU, the Avengers have become such a huge part of the movie experience that to look at these old comics. I'm sort of of two associations. One, I remember being a kid and not caring about the Avengers. And yeah. now I'm looking I'm looking at sort of like weird versions of movie stars. <laughs> like Giant yeah. Giant Man is very involved here and he's not a comic relief the way he is with with Paul Rudd doing him. Right. Like I read the I read this comic and it's like, oh, these are their heavy hitters, Iron Man and Captain America. But even when I read this as a kid, it's like I, I like the FF more. Or yeah. the X-Men more. Those are the real heavy hitters. The Avengers are also humorless compared to, like, their movie incarnation, which is so chatty and, like, yeah. you know, kind of bromancy fun. Uh, the Avengers in old, in old Marvel comics are all business. They are just constantly scolding people. Like, four or five years ago, I went back and reread Roger Stern's run on the Avengers, which was coming out when we were buying comic yeah. books. Yeah, yeah. And it was great. And I was like, oh, you know, if we had read this, we probably would have liked it. Yes. I think there was, there was nothing about it that lured us in. We just like we yeah. looked at those covers. We'd see Captain America and Iron Man standing there. We'd be like, I don't care about either of those guys. It looked like a hodgepodge. I didn't see a central vibe. Um, but I'm yeah, Roger Stern, we we loved his work on Spider-Man. We know he's great. I'm sure, I'm sure we would have yeah. loved it. But his, for whatever his reason. Run, his run was great. And if we had read it, it was really a renaissance because like that was happening. You know, obviously Walt Simonson was on Thor. Oh, early 80s Marvel Comics is awesome. And I think that's yeah. been said by many people. You got like yeah. Frank Miller, Daredevil, John Byrne, Fantastic Four, Roger Stern, Spider-Man and Avengers, Walt Simonson on Thor. I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, right. It's, it's right around the time of David Michelin's uh, Iron Man story, uh, Demon in a Bottle, which is like the Iron Man story prior to the movies. Um, yeah. So it's like. 
re- reading Marvel comics, we we were lucky. It's like rock music in the '60s. I mean, like st- stuff was really coming coming to a head. And then you know, Dark Knight and Watchmen were right around the corner. Yeah, those comics were okay. Yeah, unimpactful is how I would describe them. Um, um, but anyway, this story ends with uh, uh, Rick Jones tossing a little capsule into the Hulk's mouth to turn him back into Banner. <laughs> and the fight's over. And it's over. Yep. It's it's very anticlimactic, but it's a cool battle sequence. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's really fun, and it, it announces the new era in FF Comics. It's like, uh, things are going to be good for a little while. Yeah, and the next handful of issues, including this one with the Avengers, uh, it seems almost like a FF team-up, because, like, next issue has Doctor Strange, uh, and then we have the X-Men right after that. So we, we have a couple issues of just, like, them sort of visiting other characters in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> Yeah, maybe the FF has become really popular and they're trying to spread that popularity around or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, or maybe they're just putting more effort into the cohesiveness of the universe and do it with your main book, your central book. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Sub, um, Submariner comes back next issue, issue that's 20, right. 27. And also, uh, that's right. And also this, uh, we start off with some glamour shots of Sue in a bathing suit. Yeah, and this is what I'm talking about. I think George Bell, that's what he wanted to draw. Yeah. He's like a romance comics guy. So it's like Reed is experimenting with a thought projector, and he accidentally shows that he's thinking about his wife in a hot bathing suit. <laughs> yeah, ooh. <laughs> a real sexy one piece uh, yeah. <laughs> um, with uh, weird metal shoes on. <laughs> I just can't imagine a modern comic opening up with that. He's like, ooh, you're lusting after your betrothed. <laughs> I do love how many issues just start with like mid-experiment from Reed, though. Yeah. Just some insane gadget happening uh and we eventually cut to namor who's in atlantis his undersea kingdom and uh he mentions that he's gonna go find sue who he's in love with and everyone leaves the city they give up on him they've had it with him being obsessed with this uh surface chick uh you know namor's got little mermaid disease you know he's fallen in love with the surface dweller and uh his people are fed up it's like uh, Mayor de Blasio's uh, divorcing his wife and marrying somebody else. Everyone from New York has moved out. <laughs> um, so then we cut, you know, then we see Namor in the Baxter building in a cool disguise. <laughs> He's dressed like a spy. He's got sunglasses and some sort of gadget gun. He's got that like cool whatever hat and glasses. I mean, he looks like he looks like a 60s G-man or whatever. It's a ridiculous look for him. Not quite movie director ridiculous, but a little ridiculous. But he shows up and immediately proposes to Sue Storm. He's like, let's be together. Yeah. And this is this story, to, to spoil it, is sort of the end of this love triangle, isn't it? Uh, is that where it happens here? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> it kind of comes... It, it's a, Namor's always a little bit in love with Sue. Yes, but I think at, at this point, at some point soon, Sue says, I love Reed, not you. Um... And that's so, coming up soon. It might be this issue. Um, Namor kidnaps Sue. Yeah. Uh, and they decide that they need Doctor Strange. That's right. And Doctor Strange shows up in his astral form, which is just like a Casper white ghost look. Yeah. Um, uh, which looks rad. And I love it. And they yes. somehow convince him to help. And he searches the in his astral form. He goes underneath the oceans and searches for Namor's kingdom. Which seems like a, a tough gig. I don't think Doctor Strange was the right guy for this. <laughs> you think if Reed can't find Namor, nobody can. Yeah, doesn't he have like cameras everywhere on Earth? I feel like Reed's always able to like open up a video display and show like, let's see what's going on in the middle of Liechtenstein or whatever. 
Or do you think Doctor Strange would have like a finder spell instead of being like, okay, I'll just fly around and look. I'll just search the ocean manually. Yeah. Although he is, he is like a giant ghost form. Uh, oh, he, yes. ser- he searches the minds of fish. Okay. And, he, see- and, he, and, he, and he sees where they remember, which is a really cool trick and I think also a Black Mirror episode. But he scans <laughs> the memories of these fish and uses that as clues to locate the kingdom. It's actually oh, le- that's- that's less crazy than I thought. That now maybe he is the right guy. Yeah. I didn't know he could read fish heads. Um, so he finds the Intercity Kingdom, and then the FF show up there to rescue Sue, and a battle ensues. Yeah, this is also the first of many issues where Reed invents ways to breathe underwater. Love it. Uh, so he creates a pill you can swallow, and then you can breathe underwater for um, like an hour or something. Yeah, which has no impact on society, but I think that would change the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe they're really expensive pills, you know? Yeah. No one's going to pay 50 bucks to breathe underwater. Yeah, maybe it's like 50 bucks to breathe underwater. <laughs> uh, so we get, a, we get a cool Kirby battle where all FF are using their powers against Namor, and he's really strong and noble and stuff like that. And Yeah, it's once again a fight to rescue Sue, which is tiresome. Yeah. I mean, the battle is visually inventive, and Kirby's really good at that. And there's lots of great art here as the FF look weird and cool as they bend and stretch and ignite yeah. and, and punch. And Su- uh, sorry, go on. That's all. Uh, and once Sue is free, she does get to get involved in the fight. These force fields are quickly making a big difference. She like holds back a huge tidal wave, giving Johnny enough time to like uh, uh, vaporize it. So she's become like a functioning member of the team. Finally, it's so huge. It can't be understated. Um, force shield, force also, fields are too Sue. Partway through the battle, Namor's people return, so he gets his army back. Yes, his like royal guard because he's the king of this place or whatever. That's right. Um, okay, so then the battle comes to a standstill, and Sue changes the game because um, she basically says that she's in love with Reed and not Namor, and that's what motivated her to fight. Yeah. And he should give it up. Right. So I was right. This is the issue that sort of mostly ends that love triangle. Sue out loud says, I'm sorry, Namor. Sorry if you misunderstood the sympathy I felt for you. Yes, even the affection I felt. Sorry if you thought I was it was love. But I realize now Reed is the only man for me. Nothing can ever change that. So he's rejected and hard. A big, a big put down of Namor here. Um and Doctor Strange is monitoring it and sees and can sense that Namor's rage is building and that something dangerous is going to happen. And so to save everybody, he beams the Fantastic Four out of the Undersea Kingdom and back to their home. Right. And then Reed worries that Sue just said that to stop the fight. Uh, oh, yeah. That, that doesn't – somehow we make it that they don't, they don't totally know how they feel about each other somehow. Which is ridiculous. Which is ridiculous. Oh, he beams them into a submarine. Yeah, yes. Strange beams them back into a submarine. Not all the way home. What seems like a military submarine, not an FF submarine, but I got to assume it's an FF submarine. Um, With a steering wheel. (laughs) Pretty fun issue. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, Again, it's like there's there's silliness to it with a, you know, Submariner in his spy getup, but it's not, you know, it's not as silly as uh, uh, um, he's producing a movie for them. Yeah, it's not as uh, going to the Pharaoh back in time to get um, a cure for blindness or whatever. It's, it's almost like just stuff's a little more controlled. Um, yeah, it's, it's just being treated a little bit more serious, even when it's a crazy idea. 
Okay, next issue, we have another guest star, the X-Men guest star. Yeah, they really are. The FF really are going on a tour of the Marvel Universe here. That's right. This is the issue where Chick Stone takes over for George Bell, and it's definitely an uptick in quality of inking. Um, only, but mostly only in comparison to George Bell, like Chick Stone is still the worst inker other than George, who I think has worked on the book up to this point. Yeah. Uh, this is issue 28. Um, the title I think is we have to fight the X-Men. <laughs> yeah. That's a cool title. <laughs> it definitely sounds like a title before the story, you know, um, came up with that title and then wrote a story to make it true. And this issue involves the puppet master as well as the mad thinker. The guy who times everything perfectly, if you remember yeah, from the, our right. previous podcast. There's there's several super smart people in the Marvel Universe who show their smarts by their by their great planning ability. Yeah. He, he plants things down to the microsecond. Anyway, he gives the puppet master a bunch more radioactive clay and tells him to create a Professor X sculpture. Because if you could control Professor X, you could control his mental abilities. Which, honestly, he's right. It's a good idea. Um, yeah, if, if the Puppet Master gets Professor X, that's a good one to grab. Uh, I like the opening of this. We open on Alicia's made a statue of the thing for the thing, and it's kind of cool looking. Chickstone's ink actually makes are good for statues of the thing. Yeah. Just not the thing himself. Um, okay, the, uh, yeah, but the Puppet Master has his plan, and he does it, right? He grabs control of Professor X. Yeah, Professor X resists for a little bit, but eventually he can't, uh, he can't do it. The radioactive clay is too powerful. And the Puppet Master now has control of Professor X. Therefore, he has control of the X-Men. So and Wolverine, his... Cyclops, Colossus, not Rogue. Wolverine. What? Not Wolverine. Yeah, but Cyclops and Colossus and yeah. Rogue and uh, um, Iceman. and Gambit, <laughs> Deadpool. They all show up. <laughs> yeah, real early appearance of Deadpool that's not talked about by many people. No, obviously, uh, I was yeah. joking. This is the original X-Men. Yeah. Uh, it's Jean Grey, Marvel Girl, uh, one of three female characters in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Uh, Beast, before he became blue and furry. He's just um, a guy with big hands and feet. Yep. Iceman, who looks more like a snowman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cyclops, uh, an angel. Uh, so the professor says to the X-Men, capture the Fantastic Four, and they are puzzled, but they eventually agree. Yeah, I mean, he hasn't led them astray yet, so it makes sense. Uh, they follow the professor's orders. This is, uh, you know, this is being written by Jack Kirby and Stan Lee, two middle-aged men who are like, young people follow orders. That's the way young people behave. <laughs> yeah. And so they will obey their master, and uh, they'll take on the Fantastic Four, and they do. Yeah, um, if you look at, like, page nine, Will, um, where they're like, the battle's really full-on... Torches like flying around Cyclops's uh, force beams. The beast is like riding around on a, a ball of Mister Fantastic. This is where I think Chickstone's art. You can see how strong, much stronger it is than George Bell's because like this looks pretty good. Uh, yeah, it, it's uh, simple to look at, but still pretty strong. Yeah, it, it, you're right. It's a step up. Uh, and yeah, so they fight for a while, and uh, I think eventually the X Men lock everybody up into like um, vaults. Every villain that the FF face have, like, custom vaults ready to go for their powers. Yeah. Um, and they capture and they, Sue. And they kidnap Sue, I believe, again. Right. I think um, they kidnap Sue so that, like, it's like, don't mess with us or we'll hurt Sue. Yeah. It's one of those issues. Yeah. And the FF, um, are they immediately are very, leave the girl out of it. Yeah. Sort this, of. This uh, isn't about women. This should be about men fighting men. We all know. Yeah. 
Um, so they're going to rescue her. Alicia tells Ben to be careful. I love Alicia and Ben. Yes, Alicia's great. She, I mean, at this point in the story, uh, um, I think from issues 25 on, the Ben's, tra- Ben's transformation is pretty much complete. His character is solid. He is this uh, never gives up, will do anything for his team, sweet. He's funny. Yeah. He's not goofy anymore. He had like a brief period where he was falling down sewer holes. Um, he like makes jokes more than is the joke. He Gone is the angry, tortured monster. He, more is like the kind of melancholy yeah. best friend. Yeah, he um, gets sad more than angry now. Yeah. Uh, he still has fits of temper. He's the thing we all know and love. He's it's clobber in time thing now. Yeah, that's this guy. So, uh, and I love him. I mean, he's one of the best yeah. characters in the Marvel universe, and we got him. Uh, yep. Okay, so they and even at this point, if you look at his bricks, he's looking just like the thing now too. Yeah, he's re- he's reached going his- through past issues recently, and he under Chickstone's pen, he finally looks like the thing to me. Yep, he looks like the thing that w- that we know. Um, Okay, so the FF traced down the X-Men in some sort of remote location, and they have another battle. That's right. Uh, and this battle, battle happens to be where the Mad Thinker uh, and Puppet Master are. Yeah, the Puppet Master has brought the X-Men to him, and they P- Puppet Master reveals that it's me that you've been serving the whole time, and the Mad Thinker is like, I also am helping. Yep. Um, Professor X uh, is prof- unable to resist Puppet Master. Yeah, but he's trying to resist, which I think gives the beast enough chance to fight back. Uh, I guess because the beast is so smart, maybe. So the beast is able to sort of like think his way around Professor X's mental, both because Professor X is resisting it and the beast is so smart. He's able to a little bit fight his way to Puppet Master and knock the little voodoo doll out of his hands. Yep. And by doing that, you know, Professor X is out of the game, which gives the X-Men puts the X-Men back in the game simultaneously while this is happening. The thing is able to uh, free himself from whatever trap the X-Men had put him in. And he helps get the others out. He like opens up the bag that Johnny's caught in and unravels Reed. And so now the final battle is X-Men and Fantastic Four team up against the Mad Thinker's giant Android. Yes. Who's a weird looking dude. Weird looking dude. I watch. I, I love the way the Android looks. I love it too, but he's weird looking. He's definitely weird looking. And, um, at some point, the android copies Ben Grimm's makeup and becomes like a giant thing yeah, sort of creature. He, the the man thinger seems to be able to replicate people's powers. He did this last time he showed up too. I don't. He's not quite like an Amazo character who is a Justice League robot who steals their powers because he can't seem to do it forever. But he seems to be able to do it temporarily at least. Um, but they're able to beat him. Yeah, Professor X knocks out the android using his powers. Now that he's back in the game. Really, yeah. Once you get Professor X, this is all but done. It's all over. And the Mad Thinker and the Puppet Master are driving away in defeat. I like the Mad Thinker just sort of calmly contemplating, hmm, what went wrong there? Yeah. Um, yeah, the Mad Thinker always says something. This is a line the Mad Thinker says, and it sort of makes him seem dumb. Yeah. Uh, but he goes, everything was perfect until you allowed that accursed puppet to be smashed. It was the one eventuality I did not foresee. It's like, well, it's the one that happened. Yeah, right. <laughs> there might be other ones you didn't foresee. Like, he's like he, every time he gets beat, it's just like, oh, I didn't think of that. Is this, is this cop out? <laughs> you got to it's a long walk for these like planning villains to look yeah. smart because they get they get beat every time. Yeah. If the, the only way they actually look smart is if they never get beat. My plans always work, except for every single one that you are <laughs> witnessing. Uh, but they did escape. 
Um, and uh, the X-Men yeah. and the FF make up their friends now. The end. Uh, another pretty fun issue. Yeah, and this last caption also sort of uh, hints at this idea that we think is maybe happening with trying to help the sales of the X-Men. If you want to see more of the X-Men, we won't object. They're on sale now. As for the top-ranking FF, issue 29 may well go down... Uh, may well go down in history as, oops, we're out of room. Buy it and see for yourself. So it's hitting this idea that the FF is the number one book. Uh, issue 29 is a weird one. And, it is uh, a very weird one. A quick side note. This is the month where Strange Tales starts featuring the thing um, continuously. The thing is like join the Human Torch as like a consistent co-star for the rest of its run. So just shows you how big the Fantastic Four were in the Marvel Universe at this time. They have a monthly book, which is like one of the top sellers, and then half the team is also featured in another book. Yeah. And The Watcher has like sort of an anthology series. Oh, what if it started? Uh, no, his anthology series is like Tales of the Watcher. Oh, I love it. Uh, and that started maybe uh, uh, around issue 22 of the FF. And yeah. it ends very soon. It was not successful. <laughs> it ends around issue 31, which we're almost at. Um, well, this this one is a, I, I, what I like about this one is the title it is is called It Started on Yancey Street. This is issue 29. Yeah, it's a fun title. And Yancey Street is the gang of toughs uh, basically in the Lower East Side or somewhere like that who like hate the thing and are always playing pranks on him and getting mm-hmm. his goat. Uh, so instead of battling like supernatural creatures the thing also has to contend with a bunch of guys in pork pie hats and cigars who like put whoopee cushions out for him and stuff like that yeah and may and send him like just unflattering drawings of him and it, but he gets so mad about it I, I i love the yancey street gang as a thing yes they're, they're it's a very weird thing but it is part of a uh, thing it also humanizes thing in a way of like like the street gangs are his biggest enemies <laughs> It, you kind of feel that the thing came from the streets, that maybe when he was a kid, this was a rivalry that started then, and they just yeah, didn't I think it has been established. It was not established at this point, but yeah. it has definitely become a thing where, like, he's from Yancey Street, and they're sort of uh, keeping him yeah. in check. It's like, you you're not some you'd, big shot. You think you're too good for Yancey Street just because you got bathed in cosmic rays, you jerk? In current FF comics, uh, the team is right now based on Yancey Street. <laughs> oh, really? Temporarily living in a, a, a place on Yancey Street. I love it. Um, but the so they've come down to Yancey Street because um, the thing, uh, I don't even know why, but the Fantastic Four are there and the Yancey Street have all kinds of pranks ready for the Fantastic Four. Yeah, it's not super clear. Uh, I guess there's an, uh, Sue says there's been an increase in crime. So they've come down on like a patrol of Yancey Street or something. But like, you know, they throw a garbage can on Ben's head and they gas Sue and they throw a bucket of water on Johnny. So they all just leave Yancey Street. Um, like the Yancey Street gang defeats the Fantastic Four, basically. Yes. And then they retreat back to the Baxter building and they're trying to figure out who is helping the Yancey Street gang because they could. These guys couldn't be doing it on their own. So Rita's reviewing all these their old villains to see who's helping Yancey Street. Yeah, and they're being watched by a little uh, surveillance bot. Little drone. Yeah. It's a little like uh, a modern-looking drone here in 1960s comics. Yeah. Uh, the FF don't know what to do. Uh, they head out to the street, and Thing runs right into one of the Red Ghost's super apes. I posted this on our Instagram very recently. I think the Red Ghost and the super apes are sort of the enforcers of the Fantastic Four universe. I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, they're goofy 
and stupid, but they are so strange and visually interesting that they kind of redeem themselves in terms of, I'm always kind of excited to see Red Ghost and the Super Apes. Yeah. They shouldn't work at all. A, there's many reasons why they shouldn't work, but they sort of do. I mean, I'm if the Infant Terrible shows up or the Impossible Man or even Molecule Man, I'm kind of bummed. But when Red Ghost and the Super Ape show up, I'm like, all right, baby, here we go. <laughs> yeah. A super strong gorilla? I'm on board. Yeah. What are the what are the three apes' powers? One is super strong, one one's a shape changer, and one is uh got magnet powers. <laughs> it's so arbitrary, you know, like there's no balance to that. No. It's and then like the red ghost is intangible. <laughs> I mean, I love it. Let's so they run into Red Ghost and the Super Apes. Yeah, and they have a little fight um, throughout the streets of Yancey Street, uh, and then somehow the Red Ghost captures um, them. The Red Ghost captures them and takes them to back to the moon. Red Ghost loves being on the moon, so he takes the yeah. FF back to the moon. There's a cool thing here that uh, on page where, where is this photo page on um, eleven eleven yeah that Kirby will do when they when they reach when they go to outer space or they in the negative zone or some sort of fantastical setting Kirby will have like a photograph as the background. Yeah, this is the first time he's done that, right? Uh, okay, yeah, I, I've I've forgotten if it's the first time, but it's he'll do I, it I occasionally, I, and it's it's, yeah. it's really it might cool. not be the first time. I I can't remember the last episode if we saw any of these, but it might be the very first time he's done this. I love and him. It, it's definitely a thing he does uh, here and there throughout the rest of the run. So in the you know there's like a, a photo pick there's a photo of the moon as the background, and then a drawing I think yeah of the red ghost ship landing on it. Yeah, it looks cool. And you know, get, yeah, definitely gives very it, weird. the book a cosmic feel. Mm -hmm. It's very weird. Um, I don't know how I feel about it. Uh, part of me, it takes me out of the comic, but part of me, it just feels right for the era. But that's a little nostalgia talking. Um, I like that he's experimenting. I think that's what I like too. I like that Jack Kirby's invested in this book, and he's like, "I'm going to try something new here." Yeah. Um, okay, so now we're on the moon. We yep, got another battle of Red Ghost Super Apes versus FF. So Sue's Force Shields is protecting them from is is keeping some oxygen around the FF when they're on the moon's surface. Yeah, the the Red Ghost like kind of drops them on the moon to suffocate to and them. Sue cap, uh, covers them in a force field to save their lives, giving time for the thing to dig a tunnel to the blue area that they visited last time they're here where there is oxygen. And they run into the Watcher. Yep. The Watcher who never gets involved, except In, for every time he meets the FF. Yep, except for every time we see him, he becomes very involved. Uh, I like when they're in the Watcher's home and Reed grabs this device that instantly evolves him 10,000 years a second. Yes. And so we see what humans might look like in 10,000 years. Yep, and it mostly is bigger ears. Bigger ears and a bigger head, um, bigger forehead. And uh, he drops it and reverts back to himself. Yeah, there's tons of fun little curb, curvy, curvy gadgets going on here. Just like a little tour of them. There's a little universe in a bottle, sort of a candor type of situation. Um, and then there's an object that he, even he hasn't figured out what it is. I love this. Even I do not know what that object is. I yeah, found it right, in a remote right. galaxy and have been studying it for centuries. It's like Kirby just drew something and Stan couldn't think of anything that it might be. Yeah, it looks like a piece of art. <laughs> yeah, it looks like something that's like maybe in a corporate lobby of like First America. <laughs> um, uh, okay, but the Watcher has saved them and he vanishes because he cannot interfere. Yep. Um, uh, so now they have to go back and, and finish off the Red Ghost and the Super Apes now that they're saved. 
Yeah, I think the Red Ghost is like looking for uh, uh, some sort of tool there to make himself powerful. Okay, he doesn't have enough powers. Yeah, um, but in searching for it, uh, Reed tricks, tr- like trips him into like some weird portal thing, right? Uh, yes. Um, I don't quite know what that portal is, but it's a. Uh, um, it didn't look great. Yeah. And uh, uh, the Red I mean, Ghost falls news. into that. It's bad news. And then the Red Ghost falls into his own portal. Yep. And then the FF are transported back to Yancey Street. I guess the apes just live on the moon. The apes are just chilling on the moon and nobody cares about them. The FF are ruthless with their villains at the end of a lot of <laughs> issues. Yeah. Nobody goes to jail in an FF issue. They're trapped in other dimensions where they probably can't survive. Um. It's a pretty fun issue. Like the the battles are visually inventive. The Red Ghost, I don't know, the Red Ghost and the Super Apes have really stepped up in my estimation in our review of these runs. Uh, I think they're fun. Um, uh, I don't think this issue is quite as fun as the, their first appearance, but it's still really great. I love that they go back to the moon as if like that's his thing. <laughs> yeah, well, you don't really need to be in the moon, do you, pal? It's yeah. it's a lot of work. But I guess you know this is pre anybody being on the moon, so it's like it's. You know, for me, Kevin, in modern times, going to the moon yes. is no big deal. Sure, you were there earlier today. Yeah, LA's got a subway. I can't, I can't get to the airport, but I can get to the moon via the LA metro system. And uh, but you know, back in 1960, whatever year this is, going to the moon is something else. So yeah, um, let's go to so, issue 30. Yeah, let's go to issue. Now, this issue stars Diablo, which I think Stan Lee has been quoted as sort of citing this as a lame villain. But I weirdly think he just sort of was like trying to remember a villain that he didn't like. And he just picked Diablo because this issue isn't that bad. There are worse villains for sure. I, I like Diablo. I, I really enjoyed this issue. So Diablo's thing is he's an alchemist. He's got potions that basically let him kind of do lots of stuff, right? Right. He's like, he's also maybe immortal. Like he's been trapped in a, a like Latvian or, or or Bavarian prison for his whole life. I guess now that he overlaps with Doctor Doom a little bit, right? He's like an Eastern European yeah. magic guy, which is like that's yeah. half of Doom. Yes, uh, this like- story also starts with the FF lost in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> the caption is so funny. Even on vacation, the FF never know when danger will strike. Our scene is a remote forest in the mountainous kingdom of Transylvania. Oh, there we go. But no vampires, right? No vampires. Where anything is liable to happen, and you can rest assured that it will. Yeah. Old comics didn't need a ton of setup. Let's just drop yeah. them in the middle of whatever context we need, and we'll use a caption to backwards justify why they're there. Yeah. Uh, Sue says, Reed, we've been lost for hours now. They have a character who can fly. <laughs> yeah. And Reed's the smartest person on Earth. Um, yeah. But they're they're stuck in the woods in Eastern Europe. And so they find a castle. Um, I don't think you should put a story in Transylvania without having vampires be part of it. No, it certainly seems like it is setting up a vampire type thing. They go to this castle. The guy who's running it's got like a big bushy white mustache. Who's warning them to stay away separate from separate rooms. Yeah. Um, the thing is lured to a, a underground vault by a voice. It, look, it's definitely setting up. You're going to discover a vampire. Count Dracula. It's an alchemist. It's an alchemist named Diablo. So is that like a bait and switch or is it a copy? Is it like, well, we'll just steal the framework of a vampire story, but it's Diablo. Or is it like you think it's going to be Dracula and instead it's a character you don't care about at all? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't. I can't answer that. Um, I mean, I also think maybe Kirby didn't think it was Transylvania and he was just using Transylvania like, uh, you know, Eastern European 
characters. And Stan Lee is saying Transylvania because that is a good shorthand to communicate the kind of yeah. setting that this is. I guess that makes sense. But to me, it feels like our story takes place in 221B Baker Street. And then you right. never see Sherlock Holmes. Right, right. Um, anyway, for, for all of our making fun of it, Diablo to me looks pretty cool. The potions are a good vehicle for Kirby to have lots of weird stuff happen. The Eastern European setting is rad. Like it's it looks good. Um, and he what half, about Thing? He half cures the Thing in this issue. So the Thing has a human body, but still like a brick outline and orange skin. It looks weird. It's more like Colossus, right? Like he's got the human shape, but he's made of another material. Yeah. Uh, but Thing seems really happy with that. Right. He's the Diablo has promised to finish the cure if the Thing will help him. So the Thing is fighting the FF and he's sort of under mind control, but I think doesn't quite realize it. Then a weird thing happens where the, they... The FF, because of this, feel obligated to work with Diablo, and and maybe he hasn't done anything technically wrong other than attack them just when he first escaped out of fear. Right. So they release him into the world, and Diablo starts releasing potions into the world that, like, that cure everything. Yeah, uh, he creates a—he, uh, like, turns deserts into lush lands of uh, fruits and vegetables. He creates a protecto-dome— they can stop missiles from hurting anyone. Um, uh, immor- an immortality serum is available to people. Yep. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what period of time this is over, but there's a while where Diablo is basically like a god where he just does anything he wants. Yeah, there's like military people just handing him stacks of money in one panel. But the Reed is suspicious, and in his lab he has figured out Diablo is a fraud. Yeah, I guess he is doing all these things, but they're all very temporary. Yeah, they're not going to last long or whatever. It's an it's basically an updated version of the, you know, 10 issues ago that he'd be a hypnotist where he just hypnotized everybody into thinking it happened. Right. Or in 10 issues from now, they get back into hypnotism. <laughs> um, but it's potions that only work temporarily. And um, the thing realizes the thing. Diablo gives him the rest of the cure, but the rest of the cure just turns him back to regular thing because he didn't, he never had a cure. Right. If John, if if Reed can't do it, nobody can. The bottom of page 11, when all that, when all the world is realizing that Diablo is a fraud, the headlines are very funny to me. Diablo's wonder chemicals fail. Diablo youth elixir proven worthless, aged millionaire taken to hospital. (laughs) Bomb proof dome shatters in new test. Fertile desert returns to sand. Uh, it's just so funny to think of the whole world being like, dope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every single one of these failed on the same day. But Diablo is still bragging like crazy for a dude that I think should be humiliated. He doesn't, he, he's, it doesn't set him back even a bit in terms of ego and pride. I mean, he's collected a lot of money for what he's done. He has uh, built up a stronghold. He's captured the thing. I mean, he's sitting pretty. So the other three FF attacks. Um, are going to rescue this thing and take down Diablo. So back to Transylvania they go. Yep. And there is a cool little battle with the FF and Diablo. Looks, pre- I mean, th- I like this issue. Like the stuff they do to Diablo is fun. I mean, there's like Diablo throws a potion. Sue catches it in a force field. That looks great. Um, the yeah, thing it's is a, t- a rare fight where the thing's not involved too. So that's fun. Yeah, they have to kind of, they don't have the brute strength of the thing, so it's a lot of reeds slipping through cracks, Sue protecting with a shield, and Johnny's kind of the on the offense here. Yeah, and eventually they lose, and they get captured, um, but then the thing kind of wakes up and breaks free to save and, his team. And, and the he, end of the story is great. 
Yeah, well, the thing feels guilty, right? He is the one who released Diablo. He convinced the FF to not fight him. His team is captured. So he's, this is almost like a Steve Ditko, like, it's personal now for the thing to yeah. take Diablo out. And like the last three and a half pages is a thing just chasing Diablo through the castle, tossing like uh, cinder blocks to seal doors before Diablo can run into it. It's sort of terrifying for Diablo at this point. Yeah, the thing is is coming for him like a like a month like a horror movie. Yeah, there's like nothing that's slowing him down. Uh, And he goes back to the crypt where he was first contained and kept safe, and the thing locks him in there, putting him back where he was. Yep. And then the uh, the rest of the FF get free, and Sue's force fields help them escape the collapsing castle, and then they're lost in the woods again. And they also they they cover Diablo's crypt in slag and molten stone. Oh yeah, uh, that's right. and they don't care that they're just leaving him trapped under the surface. Another time where the they, they'll the FF are quick to just like lock people under the earth. Yeah, the Super Scroll was sealed into a volcano. Diablo is now sealed into this uh, castle. The super apes are on the moon. Uh, the I don't know where Doom is at this point, but he's either shrunk or lost in space. And uh, so the FF are they're they're big fans of solitary confinement on a permanent basis. I mean, they're not police. They will murder you if you get in their way. <laughs> um, uh, should we keep going? Yeah, let's keep going. Uh, do we, should we take a short break? Oh yeah, we'll take a break right here. Hey, it's us again, your hosts, Kevin and Will Hines, and we want to hear from you. That's right. You can email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at screwitcomics. We also have an Instagram account where we post images from the comics that we talk about, and that's screwitcomics on Instagram. That's three different ways to connect with us. Tell us your thoughts about the issues we're talking about, or the format of the show, or our life choices that have led us to this point. Reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. Okay, so uh, now we're back. We're going to um, burn through a couple issues faster because we want to get to the annual that we think is really great. Yeah, this next issue... uh 31 is a Mole Man story. Starts with a cool splash page of a sort of an earthquake happening. Um, yeah, oh, and Mole- it has our favorite uh, our favorite joke is in this issue. Yeah, let's read this. We this when when Kevin and I reread the FF issues in the late 90s, uh, and we, we had never read these issues. We'd only read the initial yeah. batch. So when we first read these issues, we came upon a joke in in issue 31 that I think is the best joke in Marvel Comics history. It made us both laugh out loud separately, and then we both talked about it afterwards, which is surprising. Yeah, because like, sometimes like, these jokes just make you laugh because of the mood you're in, or you just it catches you at a moment. But we both laughed at this joke, and now we've oversold it. But I think it is a great joke. So it opens with like the thing and Johnny are fighting, which they do a lot, mm-hmm. and they're they're never shy to like throw stuff around and destroy their home when they're arguing, and they're doing that. Um, and at some point. Ben, well, this is not a fight. This is an earthquake caused by the mole man. They don't know that yet. My bad. And the thing is thrown into the bathroom and lands in the shower. <laughs> okay, so John. Okay, I totally misread it. So then Johnny yeah. chases after the thing just to see what's wrong. Yeah, Ben's trapped in the bathtub. Yeah, and then uh, 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 Johnny goes in to help him, and he says, "If you used the brains you were born with, you'd have just reached up and turned off the faucet." 
And the thing says, are you trying to hint that I'm dumb? Johnny sarcastically responds, who's hinting? And Ben goes, I accept your apology, <laughs> which really makes me laugh. <laughs> yeah. That is a very funny line from Stan Lee. Like, who's hinting is a very classic lame Stan Lee line that I love still. Yeah. But the response of I accept your apology is genuinely funny. I love it. Um uh, and so then what? We get into a big mole man issue, right? Where mole man. It's a big mole man issue. There's a subplot with Sue reading about a guy who escaped from prison and that she is really worried about. We don't know why. We find out later what's going on with that. Yeah. But yeah, uh, the, the mole man is like stealing parts of the city and bringing it down underground is what's happening. Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, there's lots of cool mole man creatures and gadgets and stuff. Oh, and he uh, kidnaps Sue again. Sue gets kidnapped because she's on that block when the city gets stolen. And then she she's uh, hurt badly and she might die. And she's in a hospital and a doctor comes to save her. Um, it's like her, her, her injuries are beyond the abilities of normal doctors. And then this like super great doctor shows up and saves her. Yes, and he is the escaped prisoner that we saw earlier. And it so turns- he, by, by doing this, he is getting himself thrown back in jail. Yeah, he'd been on the lamb, but he's revealing himself to save this woman because, Kevin? It's her dad. It's her dad. It's the father of the invisible girl on the human torch. Yep. And that's how the issue ends. Yep. It ends with him going back to jail for whatever he did, um, and he has saved his daughter's life. Uh, the Avengers also showed up for a little bit to help fight the Mole Man uh, things. I think maybe they just guarded the surface while the FF went down to fight. Sure. That's nice. Um which, again, is like one of these weird things like, why don't they all just get involved? Uh, but the Thor gives them 24 hours to solve this himself. Because <laughs> I guess because Sue's down there. Um, next issue, Death of a Hero, is I, I like this story. It's it's the yeah, type, it's the type of good. story that's done now and then, which is the previously bad person redeems himself. This is another this issue starts with um, another splash page of a read experiment. He's trying to cure the thing and the thing's on board with it. So this is a very different moment than earlier when he didn't want to even have it attempted. Uh, and it works. He's cured. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if it's permanent. Um, bottom of page two, Johnny is when he flames on uh, Kirby first draws him Johnny Storm in his Fantastic Four costume. And just like little flamelets are shooting out of his costume before he fully flames on. Uh, I love that drawing. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah, it's also nice. Johnny sort of talks about how he's sad. He'll be sad if it works a little bit because then the thing is gone. Um, yep. He like wants Ben to be happy, but he also wants Ben to be the thing. He wants him to be able to be both. So then a weird thing happens where a villain comes from another planet, captures Sue Storm's dad, Sue and Johnny Storm's dad, and yep. takes him to another planet. Yeah. There's also a couple uh, in those space ones. There's a couple more like photo pages. Yeah, we got more photo pages of the showing where this creature comes from. Um, And then, um, oh, Ben lost his memory. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he doesn't know who he is. So he turns him back into the thing uh, and just tells him the experiment failed. He never turned back into Ben. Yeah. Rather than torture him with, you were human, but you you had dementia. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. Um, Okay, then Uh, Dr. Storm, the dad, is, is brought to another planet. And right. we hear his story a little bit. Yes. Uh, there was like a car accident and his wife was injured and he couldn't save her. And he kind of got depressed and ruined and became a gambling addict. Accidentally killed somebody and went to jail for it. Yep. Um, and so then, 
Um, so now he's in jail again. Because, well, he escaped and he's gone back to jail for those same crimes. I lose track of what's going on here. But some alien yeah, is taking his place. I think what happens place. is there's some alien takes his place. Okay, yeah. And the alien that takes his place is the Super Skrull. Okay. Who first calls himself the Invincible Man, but that is a fake identity. It's really just the Super Scroll. Who right, has who the powers sealed. Of- they left him sealed in a volcano earlier. He had somehow gotten out. Yeah. Uh, the Super Scroll is the power, all four Fantastic Four powers at once. Yep. Um, and then somehow Dr. Storm, who is on the Scroll planet, and that is somehow enabling Super Scroll to be... Yeah, I don't quite understand. I forget why they stole what the reason was for stealing him other than part of the deal was uh once like once the ff1 they basically said like um uh, uh oh yeah here it is they knew we could defeat him in a fair fight but they gambled on convincing us that he was your father to divide us and weaken us which is dumb okay uh, when right. i contacted them they knew the game was up they'll return your dad there's no further need for him so it was just to sort of knock the FF off their game by making him look like Sue's dad. Yeah, just to confuse him. And so they want to trade the Super Scroll for uh, Dr. Storm. Yep, and um, the Scrolls are an inhuman, merciless race. They're capable of anything. Um, so they're a little, so the FF are a little bit on edge, and when Johnny, St- when, the, when Papa Storm shows back up, he's been booby-trapped. And he sacrifices himself rather than hurts the Fantastic Four. Right, he he like triggers it or keeps them away from him long enough for the whatever booby trap to go off and he dies, uh, saving his children and their families' lives. Um, so he died a hero. So we just met him last issue and now he's dead. Uh, died a noble man. Yep. Um. All right, let's go to issue thirty. I mean, it's, I really enjoy it, but I just want to get to the Doom Annual. Yep. Uh, issue thirty three is another Submariner issue. It's got sort of a photo cover. Yep. Uh, and this is an interesting one. I believe this is the one where the FF are recruited to fight and help Namor, but Namor never knows it happens. That's right. Uh, Namor has a woman named Norma who loves – is that is that her name? Uh, no, it can't be, right? That'd be so terrible. Dor- Dorma? Uh, yes, Dorma. That's slightly better. If it was just <laughs> Namor spelled differently, <laughs> scrambled, it would be so weird. Um, Though I guess later on there's like a Nam- Namorita and everything else, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So it's all dumb. Uh, Every issue's dumb. These are all terrible. No one should cover them. <laughs> what are we doing? So, um, Lady Dorma, who is in love with Namor and is very jealous of Sue Storm, nonetheless swallows her pride to ask the FF for help. The yes. Undersea Kingdom, not called Atlantis, but whatever it is, but it's Atlantis, yes. is under attack, and Namor and by, is outmatched. By a tuma. A Tuma. Yeah, I love Kirby really fleshes out these civilizations really well, I think. Um, and so Lady Dorman needs the FF's help. And uh, it we, is called Atlantis by this point, I believe. Okay. And um, so they agree. But yeah, Namor will never find out for some reason. Well, I don't I don't know if there's a reason they couldn't tell him um, or if they just didn't. They just like, never, you know what? I think because like they don't get along. And it's like if they showed up, they would have to fight him. He might have so too much sort of pride on to the accept their help. Helping him win this fight. So Namor is fighting these. these and Namor, of course, is a capable villain. Um, what's, yes. Reed invents a new technology to let them breathe underwater. Yeah, he invents the Oxo spray. 
It supplies okay. the skin with a layer of self-perpetuating oxygen, enabling one to breathe underwater for hours at a time. Yeah, they never address the immense pressure of being at the bottom of the ocean, but I guess that just we don't have to worry about that. And um, But it also lets Johnny flame on for some reason. <laughs> so he can be on, on fire underwater. Um, so they do it, right? They help out Namor. Namor never knows, and Namor beats Atuma. Yeah, uh, the FF are on the outskirts of this battle the whole time. Um you know, there's there's like Sue traps some guys in a force field. So when their gun goes off, they blow up and I guess die. Uh, there's a lot of dead Atlanteans in this battle. Um, oh, yeah. Sue even turns Namor invisible at some point so that he can like win a battle. But Namor doesn't know he's invisible. <laughs> so it's pretty fun. Uh, yeah, it is very interesting that they do all this stuff to help him win. Um, and then they they head home. I think they, they head home. They're like. They end up like adrift in the water, holding on to Reed as a life raft. Which seems like that would be a bad place to leave them. But they seem like, oh, we're good here. Yeah, they, they don't they don't seem too upset by it. And yeah, Namor doesn't know. And Dorma is proud that it, his pride won't be um, impacted by it. All right, let's get to issue 34 with the greatest Fantastic Four villain of all time, Mr. Gideon. Okay, great. So in in story purposes or or chronologically, I think the annual comes now, but let's do Gideon so we can end on Doom. Okay. Um, Yeah. So let's talk about Gregory Gideon, richest man in the world. So Gideon is basically represents greed and corporate power, and he's using all of his money and corrupt influence to beat the Fantastic Four. At least that's his plan. That's right. I wrote uh, in my notes that uh, uh, Uncle Scrooge McDuck is more... Uh, and believable as a rich person than Gregory Gideon. Yeah, uh, I think you're right. Um, it opens with the Yancey Street Gang sending Ben Grimm a Beatles wig as a joke. Yep, which he uh, tries on. As a fan of the Beatles, I liked seeing that. I like seeing yeah. Ben and Beatles. I think he should have kept it. Yeah, I, I thought you might. <laughs> um, Gideon, uh, so we see Gideon, he's a rich man. He could take over the world in three years, but that's too slow. Um and he asks uh, – he's bored with his life, and he asks other rich men to give him a dare. Right. And if he wins, they'll let him take over the planet now. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but if he loses, he won't even try to take over the planet. Yep. So it's all just uh, – these guys are so rich, it's just all a game to them. Yeah. And so the the dare is he has to defeat the Fantastic Four. Everyone's like, that's impossible. No one can defeat the Fantastic Four. Good luck, Gregory Gideon. Uh, there's some quote here I like, which is like, spare me the details. They are for lesser men like you, Gideon says to somebody. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, he's ridiculous. He's smoking a cigar, sitting at a, a desk, uh, uh, people running around. It's it, There literally are people carrying bags of money, like dollar sign bags around him and his huge ornate desk with an enormous vase on it. He's a ridiculous character of a rich person. Yeah. Um, he's, he divides the Fantastic Four. He makes them think that they're each the enemy somehow. That's right. Yeah. He convinces uh, – um, the thing is convinced, I think, that uh, Reed is a Skrull. Um, and Sue is and, – and and Johnny believe each other are Doombots. Oh, no. Uh, Sue believes Johnny is a Doombot. Johnny believes Sue is under control of the Puppet Master. Right. So they don't trust each other. It's yep. kind of a fun idea, actually. Uh, a little twist is Gregory Gideon has a son that he's been ignoring because he's so busy getting rich, and his son is a big fan of the Fantastic Four. <laughs> of course. 
and his and his wife is lonely because rich rich Gideon is never home. Um, I don't know. Gideon looks insane. He's got a cool Kirby like cravat on some of the times. He's got green suits because he likes money. Um, yeah, I mean this issue is bad. It's bad. <laughs> Bottom of page 14, Reed has turned his legs into like wheels and he's like kind of segueing himself away while carrying Sue. That's kind of a cool look. It's a cool look. I'm not quite sure how it works. I don't see how his legs are rotating without like twisting his thighs up uh, into, yeah. but it looks like it's working. So um, jokes on uh, me. Gideon's son overhears his plan to destroy the FF and runs off. And uh, Gideon starts realizing that all that's important to him is his son. Um, and, uh, yeah, the son shows up to the FF to sort of help them. Um, oh, and, uh, um, what happens? Like the, 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 one of Gideon's scientists has set up an experiment. Um, that I forget what it does. Like teleports them away or something, right? There's some trap set in, in the Baxter building and the thing gets captured. Oh no. Who gets captured in it is the son. The son who runs in to save the FF gets caught in the trap that Gideon had set. Thing jumps um, in the trap also to protect the son. That's right. And they save the son, and that's what convinces Gideon he's bad. That's what Gideon's right. like, oops, I screwed up. Yep, and then he immediately becomes completely good. <laughs> yeah, it's like the end of Christmas Carol. Scrooge is just 100% converted. Yeah, from this moment on, I renounce my fortune, abdicate my financial empire. All my worldwide holdings, all my incalculable wealth shall be given to charity. Money means nothing to me anymore. Thank <laughs> heaven for opening my eyes before it was too late. I mean, it's I so still possess my greatest treasures here in my arms, and I'll devote the rest of my life to making amends for the way I've neglected them. And then he leaves with his family. <laughs> I mean, why waste time once you know you're wrong, I guess? <laughs> yeah, this guy is so extreme. He's like... 22 pages earlier, he was going to dominate the world <laughs> on a dare. And, 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 he, and only I mean, he was so cavalier about his impact on the world that he made huge global implication sized life decisions based on a dare. Yep. Um, but uh, he once the thing saved his son. He decided that uh, money is for chumps. Um, I don't so know. let's talk about the annual real quick. Okay. So the this is the annual number two, and it's the origin of Dr. Doom, and it, and it's a really great story, and it basically turns Dr. Doom from what we think kind of looks like a dumb character into a good character. Yeah, this is the first step towards him being cool. Um, a, a, big, a big there's, step. There's two stories here. It's his origin, which is great, and then there's another sort of story where it teams up with uh, the Pharaoh version of himself. That's sort of weird. Yeah. But by the time we see doom next time, he already feels like a more real villain. Yeah. So we find out that he grew up in Eastern Europe and his mother was believed in the dark arts and he learned the ways of magic, but then he also happened to be gifted in science. Yes. And his dad was sort of like working for uh, a baron or something. Yeah. Like, um, some sort of Lord of this poor Eastern European land. And his dad was killed, right? Yes, his dad was killed because uh, I think like his dad was brought in to, to save somebody's life, but couldn't do it fast enough. Like he was brought in too late or something. Not his fault, but he couldn't do what the Baron wanted. And so yeah. he's punished for it. Um, and uh, the father, yeah, the father and the son are banished and um, the dad dies, uh, yep. but the son survives and is saved by Boris who sort of becomes like the Alfred to Doom's Batman, like this kind of like 
takes over raising him and helping him and stuff like that. Right. And while this is happening, Doom has discovered his uh, mother's old magic stuff because his mom used to be some sort of gypsy witch. Uh, gypsy is not a great term, but it's the term they use in this comic. Yeah. So he's got the magic from his mom and the science is just him naturally. And like it's all sort of in revenge for his dad, who was sort of a good man. But because he was so good, he was taken advantage of and killed. Yeah, Doom's from a poor family that was under the thumb of this tyrant, and so he's got a big chip on his shoulder, um, and so he becomes a good-looking young man who's gifted in the ways of science and magic, and he starts exacting schemes on the people of his local kingdom. He starts yep. fighting back against the governments and stuff. Yeah, um, and uh, and he gets a scholarship to an American university. That's right. And his next door, neck, he's put next door to Reed Richards, who is rooming with Ben Grimm. Yeah, but uh, Doom is just like a total weirdo. He's got a chip on his shoulder. He's only worried about studying and his own greatness. He doesn't want to be friends with Reed. Reed is totally nice, uh, but Doom wants nothing to do with it. Yeah, and the art in this uh, story is really dense and great. Like, this is some of the best work Kirby's done. Uh, Chick Stone is the anchor again, but it's just like there's very few panels that have like no background, which we've been seeing here and there uh, for action sequences in particular. But there's something in every panel. There's so many layers to this. Yeah. Then we see the big turning point in Doom's life, which is while he's in college, he has an experiment that he's who knows what he's going to do. But it like totally scars and disfigures his face. It's He's experimenting with matter transmutation and dimension warps, and Reed thinks it's pretty far out, but he's worried. He wants to double-check those equations. A few decimal places could mean the difference, uh, but Doom doesn't want to let him look at his work. And so because he refuses help, there are mistakes. The experiment goes wrong. Doom is disfigured. He quits college in shame and he's wanders— He's expelled from college. Oh, he's expelled because he— Created a he matter did an experiment in his dorm room that blew up in his face. He's expelled, rightfully so. Right, but it's his ugliness that makes him tortured himself, and and that yes. makes him feel depressed. And he goes back to his homeland. Yeah, and then he uh, he no, he goes actually goes to Tibet. I think next. Okay, right. Where he like finds an order of monks who take him in, and they build him. I guess they he becomes their master somehow, and. Um, they make a bunch doesn't of, even say how it's just like, and one day they dressed him as master, <laughs> so. and uh, his his final thing there is to make a suit of armor for himself, which is the armor that we know him to wear. Yes, um, and, so, and so now he's become Doctor Doom, and then he's also the king of a kingdom. And it's it's not played really big here, but it's already set up the fact that this mask was not cooled when he put it on. So um, it's time for the mask. It has not completely cooled yet. Say no more, my brother. He will tolerate no further delay. Such a man cannot wait as others can. And he puts it on. And it, so it's sort of like that further disfigures him. Yeah. Like there's some belief that he only had small scars from the explosion and that this mask is what really wrecked his face. Yeah, that's a cool thing that uh, John Byrne really like solidified yeah. in the 80s. But um, either way, we now have a fuller picture of the background of this insanely named character, Victor Von Doom. And uh, it's better. Yeah, it makes him more than just a guy named Dr. Doom who hates his ex-college friend Reed for no real reason. There's some reason there. He thinks Reed sabotaged him. Um, they yeah. were, in a way, rivals, the two smartest guys at this university. So he already sort of compared himself to Reed. Um, and he like also has a sad backstory with his mom dying before he really knew her and his dad 
dying for trying to save a lord's uh, wife or daughter. Yeah. Uh, so like it, you, it makes a little more sense why Doom has a chip on his soldier. I mean, he goes way, way overboard. Yeah. But you have some sympathy for this sense. guy, and now we now we have a whole story we can imagine, and he's not just a literally faceless villain. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's it's impressive. It's cool. I the Doom backstory I love the mer- the merging of magic and science and the sort of. I can do it all myself attitude. Yeah, he's, he's a really cool villain. Yeah. And then um, there's a backup, another story where Doom teams up with Rama Tut. Yes. Who might be future Doom or future Doom's descendant. It's actually kept ambiguous. In this story, it's implied that they might be the same person. <laughs> Which is trippy and kind of fun. I never, this yeah. story kind of, I never remember anything about it though. It seems like sort of inconsequential to me. I mean, other than the fact that it, Gets Doom, who at last we knew was lost in deep, deep, deep space because he fell through like a portal, um, is rescued by Ramatut. I don't know how Ramatut is there. Uh, they realize they might be the same person. Uh, you know, they come back to Earth to fight the FF for whatever reason. Um, there's a little battle at the end that I do remember, which is um, there's like a mind machine. Yeah, what's the mind machine do? Uh, it's called the Insophilo gun. And it like, it's like, it's, it's a, it's like a double gun fused together. Both Reed and Doom hold onto a trigger. There's like a little metal rod that touches their foreheads and they have a, basically a mental battle to see who has got more mental strength. Yes. And then the loser will somehow lose whatever. So whoever's mind is better is going to win. Right, right, right. We see Doom defeating Reed and making him vanish and Doom is so happy that he walks away having won. But then it turns out that Reed actually won and using his victory just created the illusion for Doom that he won so that he No, not leave. quite. It, what happens is Doom okay. drugs the FF earlier in this story. Yeah. So they invites them to some party and he drugs them so that they are seeing illusions. Like they don't know what they're seeing. Okay. Um, and that makes them go crazy and fight each other as okay. always. And before they do the experiment, Reed has a drink with Doom. And Reed drugs him. Okay. So everything after that is an illusion that Doom believes. I see. Okay. It's so the, ridiculous that they, so the device that is not even real. Doom the same way that Doom drugged Reed. Yeah, and Doom falls for it. So Doom is an idiot again at the end of the story, like he kind of always is, as, as we've seen him. But at least he's on the planet and walking away in his own power. For Doom, this is a complete and total victory, I'd say. Yeah, he's not shrunk into nothingness or sent off into space. Yeah. I think yeah, Doom, he, Doom he, gets home and goes, hey, I did pretty good. Yeah, he's still in his body at normal size. And this actually is a huge victory for Doom. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I, it's, a, it's a great annual. Yeah, it's a really great annual. Both annuals have been great so far. The first one was... Um, Namor. Uh, Namor, Atlantis Attacks, and this one is sort of this Doom backstory. It's sort of a fun Doom fight. Like it, probably the best Doom story. The second story is probably the best Doom story that there's been. It's the least ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and then I think the next annual is their wedding. So these annuals start out great. Yep. Um, uh, that's all we're recapping today, Will. Yeah. A, a, a great run, I think. These stories are fun. Yeah, these stories are fun. Other than Gregory Gideon, I don't think there's really a dud. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the next batch we're going to be doing is 35 to 43, if you're reading along. Uh, thir- uh, 38. We'll be back. 38. 38? Yeah. 30, 35 to 38 is what we're doing? or uh, We are doing issue 38, 
through issue... We're doing issue 35. We just did through 34. Oh, you're right. Sorry. I, it's okay. In our Excel spreadsheet, it's row 38, but it's not yes. the issue number. Sorry. Right. Uh, so we're starting with issue 35, because I was looking at our doc where I wrote the numbers down. 35 to 43. But we'll be back next week to kind of talk about these stories even more in depth than we've already done, which it's, is crazy. Which is insane. I, why do we do this? I don't know. But um, please please stay with us as we as we um, examine um, this huge, in both in volume and importance, run of comic books. Before we go into that, Will, what was your favorite non-Doom origin story that we just covered? Um, I think the Doom origin story was the best one, right? Yes, yes. So the the best story, Your best issue. Um, I'm going to say, well, it's Hulk first thing. Hulk first yeah. thing, first half. Uh, I really enjoyed. Yeah, I really really like that as well. I mean, I, I, once I asked it, I was like, that's pretty obvious. But I think like the Doom origin and that Hulk thing two parter are both so huge. Yeah, uh, they're great. I just think Diablo is probably the maybe the next. One up there, and that's crazy to me. I know I it really does just it, work. Though. Yeah, uh, that's one that's more just the details are good, and the the broad strokes of it are insane. But like as you're reading yeah. it, it's really fun. I love them being lost in the woods. I love the things fury at being tricked at the end. Uh, those things hit. But yeah, definitely Hulk versus Thing and the Doom Origin are the two best ones. Though also the Namor one where they save him without him knowing is also great. They're all good except for uh, Gideon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a really good run. So uh, yeah, and they get even better next time. Yeah, uh, in two weeks when we start covering issues 35 to 43, we're going to get into the Frightful Four, who should also be terrible, but it's a really good run. It's a really good run. So uh, please come back. Well, next episode, we're going to talk more about these. So I don't know. (laughs) Come back next episode for more talk about these. And then the next one will be even better issues. Yes, that's right. Okay. Uh, uh, These are going to get more and more long winded, I think, Will. I don't know what we're going to do. Maybe, well, next season we'll have to do something shorter. We'll have to do like a three-issue series or something. Yeah, we'll, we'll cover three pages every episode. All right, um, well, good job podcasting, Kev. Yeah, well, you also did a good job at this podcasting thing. All right, see you guys next episode. All right, bye, everyone. Bye. Screw it, screw it. We're just going to talk about comics. I'm Muriel. And I'm Nick. And we are the co-hosts of the podcast, Hella Hella in Your Your 30s. 30s. This podcast is all about diets, hobbies. Never dying. Never dying. Fitbits. I'm going to try to moisturize my face more. Yeah, alcohol. Should we drink more or less? (laughs) Cheap Chipotle dates for two. We bring you hot episodes every Monday from Campfire Media. So make sure to subscribe on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire.